I was gonna make a funny hello noise voice to this. I was following your lead. Hello. Welcome to this spooky succubus cast. I'm Abby with my BFF AE. R O T C Rebecca. <laughs> I don't know what that stands for. I don't. I don't either. I'm. I was only thinking of the R O T C because on the yacht show I watch, Below Deck, the boat show, um, <laughs> the she, the chef on this season is like insane, and she was in the R O T C, so she's really good at ironing pants. So, I, we don't have that in common. I'm terrible at ironing. I haven't attempted to iron a pair of pants pretty much ever. But yeah, we're here uh, to talk about horror movies from an anti-capitalist, anti-racist, socialist, feminist lens. And today we're talking about The Thing. Uh, Hey, Rebecca, does The Thing pass the Bechdel test? (laughs) Absolutely not. It doesn't even come within 100,000 years of the Bechdel cast, so it's nowhere close to it. But... Uh, so I'm a first-time viewer. Um, I can't believe that. And I do have problematic feelings about Kurt Russell because he has horrible politics, but damn, dude. I, uh, this is probably the, maybe, like, one of my favorite horror movies ever, so I've seen it a bazillion times. I was, like, barely, wa- like, watching when I was writing my notes because I already knew exactly what was happening. But I have been in love with Kurt Russell ever since I saw it for the first time when I was, like, 15, so... He's so hot. Actually, he kind of looks like my um, my friend Alicia's husband, Drew. I'm going to text her that right now. <laughs> I have met Drew, and I... Doesn't, don't they kind of look alike? I don't really remember <laughs> what he looks like, but I don't remember thinking he looks like Kurt Russell, but I believe you. Also, Keith David. I'm like, yeah. He's so hot. Smoke that cigarette. Say sweaters. mean shit yeah. again. I love it. And his voice. Okay, his quick voice. question. So they're in Antarctica, right? They are on this base for like an indeterminate amount of time. Where is Palmer getting his drugs? I don't Maybe he's... Is he just really prepared? Yeah, he brought three years worth of weed that hasn't um, gone stale somehow. Yeah, right? I don't know. But I don't know why I chose to send this text while we're recording. But Alicia, if you're listening, I did this for you. <laughs> Send it later. Maybe, yeah, maybe she's listening to it. No, it's already happening. Um, it's like... Do you have any other thoughts or feelings you want to say before we dive in? I'm like a little... It's like maybe weird for me to say. I'm like a little thirsty for like most of them, though. Like... Even Wilford Brimley? I'd yeah. Like he's yeah, like smart and when he's like smashing shit with an axe, I'm like, yeah, everybody listen to him. It, okay, yeah, I have this thing for, like, old Western prospector <laughs> men wearing, like, long underwear, like, pants, like, white waffle shirts, yeah. long underwear vibes, with suspenders and, like, armpit stains. I'm like, oh, And, like, glasses, and he's got a pipe Bradley. somewhere. Yeah. yeah. And he's such a good actor. I remember He is Cocoon, a really good actor. You know? Okay, uh, yeah, so, fucks would fuck. Yeah. Fukes. Fukes. I was gonna uh, fucks I'd, would fuck. Fucks would fucks. I'd fuck Clark for sure. I think he's really hot. He's like so weird, but like in yeah, like in a if he if this were right now, he'd be like the bass player. You know, he's like the weird bass player who doesn't talk to anyone. Who I would be like at a party, like actively trying to like get to talk to me. I'm telling you, this looks exactly like Drew. <laughs> this is uh, deep dives. 
No one's gonna. I would fuck. I would fuck Palmer. Nalls. I would fuck Windows. Nalls for sure. It does skates um, alone. Maybe not Gary. I don't know. He just looks constipated. <laughs> yeah. I do love Copper and his nose ring. Um, yeah. Okay, I didn't notice the nose ring until essentially the end of the movie, and I was like, Doc, what? Dr. Copper, is that you? Dr. Copper. Okay, it's your turn for the plot, so. I'm re- uh, uh. I banged into my wine glass with my water glass. Because kids, when you get old, if you want to drink booze, you have to drink water in increments, yeah. Oh, Alicia texted back. Here's what she said. <laughs> Cut this out and post. She maybe. said... What? I'm just kidding. How dare you? This is important <laughs> content. She says, ha, you're not the first one to say that. We'll put this on the Instagram. Really? I'm screenshotting it right now so I remember. I'm trying. I, I can't think of what he looks like, but. Okay, well, I'm going to text it to you right now. All right. This, this is important research, I'm telling you. Okay. We've only not this been talking for <laughs> 20 we'll seconds. We'll definitely cut this part okay. out of post. Currently dragging and dropping a photo like a grandmother. <laughs> okay, check your phone. Okay. Okay, so the thing. Mm-hmm. And... Okay, maybe. Rebecca got the photo, photo guys. Okay, I can see it, maybe. I don't know. You just can't, like, think clearly because you want to bang him so bad, so. Kurt Russell, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Um, hey, your witchy gray hairs are coming in really no, nicely. No, it's this new computer, and it's, um, it's superior, sorry, you have to look at me, with better quality. It's really your loss, but. I also watched uh, Escape from New York, which is also a Carpenter Russell. Right. And, yeah, as Snake... Pliskin, he's got like an eye patch and he's wearing really tight, like patterned pants the whole time. And I'm also I don't know, man. I he doesn't have a beard in that movie though. It's really the beard that does it frozen beard that makes it for me. Is it when he's wearing that like condom cap as well? That's like (laughs) frozen to his head. No shit, that's exactly what I said to Alicia. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, with the it's a good one. I like it. Okay, so we're gonna talk about the movie now. A spaceship whizzes by Earth, and the Chiron then reads Antarctica, winter, 1982. We see a shot of snow covered, (laughs) nailing it, (laughs) snow covered cliffs with a helicopter in the distance. In a great white expanse, we see a wolf or dog running as the helicopter flies really low, and a crew member aboard the helicopter attempts to shoot it. We then see a sign that reads U.S. National Science Institute, Station 4. Inside of the Institute, the crew is hanging out. Um, sexy Kurt Russell is playing chess wizard, which is like he's essentially playing the equivalent of like the Nokia snake game on like a huge ass computer. Mm-hmm. And when the computer wins, he pours his whiskey into it and calls it a cheating bitch. I was like, you're toxic, Mac. He really is. And he- he's so toxic. <laughs> um, We'll get into like... I don't, like, he's a white guy who thinks he should be the leader of everyone, and he's not equipped for the job, but we'll get into it, I guess. Yeah, and don't worry if you're wondering if there are any men of color in this movie. Yes. If you're wondering if they're categorized as angry black men, only one of them is. And the other one is a straight-talking trope, so we got that, too. 
He's got roller skates and he likes Stevie Wonder. The song Superstitious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much it. All right, so outside they're still working on taking the wolf out in the helicopter and they start circling the camp. Um, Childs, who is Keith David in a turtleneck, damn dude, he's so hot, yeah. uh, realizes it's a Norwegian craft and then uh, people from the U.S. station start to gather. The dog runs into the camp uh, and a Norwegian throws a grenade, which accidentally explodes his own helicopter. <laughs> He just like oh. get it together. Like, My goodness. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he comes up to the Americans. He's really distressed and he's speaking quickly in Norwegian. He opens fire, trying to hit the dog, but George, I think Benning, is hit. He's uh, then taken out by the captain Gary. George is getting stitched up and wonders aloud why they were flying so low and shooting at the dog. And then uh, in the radio room windows. I think named because he wears sunglasses all the time. Very creative. <laughs> uh, can't reach anyone on any channels. Uh, so they find out the Norwegians had only been out. How did they find this out? Uh, probably, like, when another... They, like, have a rotating schedule. Oh, like and they, log. like, would know yeah. who was in and out. Yeah. So that if something right. happens, so... they could go to a different outpost. Which they don't... Can't do because they can't talk to anybody, I guess, so... Yeah, a uh, flaw in the system, you guys. So uh, the Norwegians had only been out for eight weeks, which is kind of soon for them to have gone batty, apparently. They started as a party of ten, uh, and someone decides that they need to check the camp out. So MacReady, a.k.a. Mac, and Dr. Copper with the nose ring uh, get in the chopper to go look at the camp. Meanwhile, the dog is skulking the halls and wanders into someone's room, but we don't know who because all we see is a shadow. Do you want to know, I got a little research on the dog actor. Should we talk about him later? Jed? Yes, I'm in love with, he's such a, such a Jed. good boy. Good, good boy. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk Jed later. Okay, I can't wait. He's my favorite part of this movie, I think. He's really cute. Uh... I even thought it was cute when it was a thing dog, to be honest with you. With the, yeah, like, mouth. Ah! Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So the doctor and Mac reach the Norwegian camp, and it's abandoned and frozen over. They find blood in the snow leading to a corpse in an office chair who's holding a straight razor with frozen blood flowing out of his forearms, which, no. Um... (laughs) Just like science, no. (laughs) The doctor gathers up some paperwork in case it's important, and Mac checks out the last few rooms. He finds what looks like a recently dug-up ice grave, I guess. And then outside, they find what looks like hastily burned human remains, and they bring it back to their camp. Uh, Back at camp, it's still smoldering when they open it up to investigate, and Dr. Copper orders Blair, played by Wilford Brimley, to start an autopsy. Uh, the figure is disfigured, uh, and at the top of it we see what looks like two human faces melded together, twisting in agony. Uh, the captain is pretty butthurt that windows can't reach anyone, so just like get it in your head that they can't reach anyone, because <laughs> they're going to probably yell at windows like two more times. Hammer at home, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So at the autopsy, the internal organs on the burned body mass appear to be normal. Uh, everyone has started to relax, and then uh, the too dog relaxed. startles. They are too relaxed. For... They seem fine considering what they've just seen, They're... which is disturbing. Yeah, like a remains with two heads all stretched out with like bones and blood. Like tentacle and, legs. Yeah. yeah. And they're all just like, okay, I'm going to smoke some weed and play some cards and fucking forget about it because it's fine. It's pretty wild. Yeah. I guess that's what happens when you're just at a, like, weird outpost in Antarctica. You're just like, I don't have the capacity for this. Try again tomorrow. (laughs) Come back later. So the dog startles uh, George Benning, and he tells Clark to put him away with the others. So Clark leads the dog to a pen with the other huskies and sends him in. Uh, When Clark shuts off the light and walks away, the other pups start getting upset and barking at the new dog. As they bark, the dog's face erupts, revealing tentacles, and it eventually turns into a spider dog person. Uh, Concerned, Clark hears the barking and goes back to the pen to check on the dogs. Um, When he opens the pen, a dog gets by him and escapes, and then he sees kind of the outline of whatever the thing is taking form of and shuts it inside. Mac hears screeching and pulls the fire alarm. Uh, When Mac comes up, he says, excuse me, Clark says he doesn't know what's in there, but it's weird and pissed off. (laughs) Be in the bathroom in the morning, am I right? (laughs) Mac sends George to get Child and the flamethrower. So is a flamethrower just a thing you have if you're on an Arctic expedition? I mean, I never really thought about that until you sent me that text. But, like, yeah, why would they need a flamethrower? Unless, like... I guess if they need to, like, melt melt and manipulate the snow and ice. Yeah. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, we have... The whole plot pretty much is just, like, riding on these flamethrowers. So it's a good thing they're there. They do also have dynamite and flares. But I don't... Yeah, it's not as practical. Because they flamethrow a lot of shit. They burn it. They really are just... And everyone seems to have their own flamethrower. They're going wild. Personalized flamethrower. Personalized. They're like bedazzling them. Aww. Mac. And like little glitter letters. Right. So, uh, yeah. I guess the dynamite would be if you have to like dig out tunnels to build a spacecraft in, a la Blair. Right, yeah, that's really what it's useful (laughs) for. Uh, Yeah, they're not moving around, and it doesn't seem like they're really, like, before, even when this thing shows up, they're not like, let's really get into science now, guys. Like, let's really get down to work. They're all just, like, fucking hanging out. They're not going on expeditions. The Norwegians were, because that's how they found this huge spacecraft. Yeah, what are they doing? What are they doing out there? I don't know. Some classic American ingenuity just blowing shit up. Mm -hmm. So, let's see. Where are we, kids? The dogs. Oh, yes. The dogs and the flamethrower. So, uh, back at the pen, Mac cocks his gun. He approaches the pen and sees a fleshy, bloody, morphed dog-spider hybrid with goo. Uh, and he sees it attacking the other dogs. It grows, revealing other body parts and fleshy bits, and it's super grotesque. Blinky eyeballs. Child's blink, blink. I loved them. It was like all real monsters. <laughs> yeah. Child eventually burns it with his handy-dandy flamethrower, and uh, morning... Next shot is morning dawning on the camp as Blair works to autopsy the creature and finds, like, a weird imitation of one of their dogs inside. 
Uh, Blair says it's an organism that imitates other life forms. When it attacked their dogs, it tried to digest and absorb them and then shape its own cells to imitate them, but they got to it before it could finish. Blair asks if Clark noticed anything weird about the dog, and Clark said no, uh, but Blair is concerned about the fact that Clark was alone with the dog, and he's suspicious. So they watched some footage of the Norwegians, which was pretty fun. They're like, yeah. With the, like, they've got ice pigs. yeah, (laughs) In front of this, like, yeah, big block of ice. Because they were actually working. Yeah, they were doing stuff. Yeah, God. Classic. So they realized that they had, they found something buried in the ice and were spending a lot of time five to six miles north of their camp. And Mac decides to fly out there. They reach where the thing was dug out and they rappel down to a crashed UFO. I think Norris is there. I wrote Norris. Um, if it's not Norris, don't at me. He says it was probably buried for 100,000 years at least before the Norwegians blew it up. Uh, back at camp, they're explaining this to the others and Childs is skeptical. So we start to see the sort of power struggle between Childs, the anti-hero, and Mac, the white protagonist it's like it's just so upsetting that he has to form this sort of secondary antagonist like because obviously rj mcready is our protagonist we see him first we like follow him a lot and then chill childs is like combative with him and is probably better suited for the leadership role but we're all supposed to be behind mcready which i'm not for the record yeah and at one point i think we'll get to it soon but uh, Mac doesn't allow Childs to be in charge because he's not even tempered enough, which is, of course, a damaging stereotype about black men that are expressing autonomy. So that's cool. We'll get into we'll it. We'll get into it. So uh, Mac says it was buried with the crash and then crawled its way out when the Norwegians dug it up. Uh, probably pissed arrives. off. <laughs> probably pissed off. I would be. Leave me alone, yeah. please. Let me let sleep. Me, let me sleep in ice for 100,000 years. <laughs> Nalls arrives, annoyed that someone threw their dirty drawers in the trash can in the kitchen. Uh, And then we're like, oh, that's not a weird segue into nothing at all. I'm sure that's not important. Just kidding. You should remember. Shredded drawers. Yeah. Shredded. So uh, then Blair is modeling the cell assimilation on his state-of-the-art computer. (laughs) It's basically like a blob, like, bloop, and then another blob blah bloop and then they go like bloop and go together it's It's so funny (laughs) it's very asteroids and like the way that it's reading it was it was just hilarious cell assimilation and so this very advanced computer magically spits out that the probability of a team member being infected is 75 percent how this computer metabolized this entirely new concept and somehow was able to provide data on it is confusing but i guess blair is a computer genius it also says that if it were to reach the general population it would be turned in 27 27,000 hours. hours. Yeah. Which, what is that? How? In what way? I don't know. Yeah, like, how did you know that? I don't know. So, wait, 27,000 divided by 24 is 1,125 days. If COVID has taught us anything, that'd be a lot faster than that, right? Yeah. Divided by seven, it's like 160 weeks. So that's like, okay, hold on. (laughs) What is math? We can't do it. I don't know what it is. 
Somehow I ended up with 13.3928571, and I don't even know what I was doing. Who knows? But it's 27,000 hours. Hours. So Blair pulls out his handgun uh, to be prepared. Mac is fondling the weird dirty underwear because it's important when Copper radios him that they're moving the thing to the storeroom to lock it up. Fux, a.k.a. Fuchs, needs to talk to Mac urgently in private. Uh, in the storeroom, the thing is leaking goo that looks kind of alive. Um, Fuchs tells Mac there's something wrong with Blair and that he's locked himself in a, his room and won't answer the door. So Fuchs snagged one of his notebooks from the lab. There's still cellular activity and the bird remains and it needs to be alone with a life form to absorb it. Back in the storeroom. Oh, do you have something to say, Madam? There's like a lot of like undercurrent of homoeroticism, uh, especially because we're only talking about men in this movie. And this is one of those instances. It's like, why did Fuchs have to take McReady all the way to the snowplow alone to like tell him this secret? Maybe he just wanted a kiss. Maybe he just wanted a kiss. You know, they just got to get close and it's cold. I wish I could have a beard. For a day or longer to know what it's like to kiss another person with a beard. It seems like it would be nice. Like exfoliating. To yourself? Like you having a beard would be exfoliating. I have a beard and Adam has a beard. Oh, and, and your beard starts touching. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds nice, right? It does sound kind of nice. I like Caesar's beard. It's like, he. it's getting very long. I don't know when the last time you saw him, but he's like. Just letting it, letting it all hang out, which I like. Uh, he dropped into the frame to give me the finger a couple of weeks ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a Caesar move, yeah. So it's get, his hair is getting really long, too. Really? I cut Adam's in the kitchen. I you Like sh- we're in the Great Depression. <laughs> he uh, He's let me cut his hair a couple times, and has it didn't go that well. Adam has a very uh, square head, so I had to adjust to it, because... When you watch a YouTube video on, like, how to cut a man's man's hair, it's, like, assuming that the head is round. Uh, So, that's not what happened here. When I had my, half my head shaved, I let Caesar, like, trim it a few times, and it also did not go well. It was so fucking spotty. But I just, like, let it. He was like, I did a great job. I was like, yeah, you you totally did. Yeah. Yeah. So, back at the storeroom, Windows finds the life form absorbing George. Uh, Mac and Fuchs are ready to round up the boys when Windows finds them and tells them that Bennings got thinged, uh, but he's missing when they go back to the storeroom. They surround Bennings in the snow, who now has monster hands and a fun groan uh, because the thing didn't have time to finish. They set Benning on fire, and then Max says they have to burn the rest of them and burns the pile of corpses and body parts with the flamethrower. Dr. Copper says there's no remains left in the camp, and someone is like, where is Blair? Fuchs says Blair is still missing and goes inside. Max sees him running through the snow and follows him to the helicopter, where he sees that the panel has been destroyed. Inside, he hears a gunshot, so he runs in. Blair is drunk in the control room, shooting it up and hitting shit with a hatchet. Um, So Max sends Childs out to find out if he fucked up the tractor, too. Uh, He did. He killed most of the dogs. He killed the rest rest of the the dogs. dogs. 
the cho- he killed the chopper, he killed the tractor. Okay, we're there, guys. Uh, so he go- Childs goes around to try to talk him down, uh, but Blair is busy hacking and sort of hacks Childs accidentally, kind of. He no, shoots he doesn't at him. hack him. Sorry, you guys. Uh, he shoots at him, and then Mac tackles him with a table. So he hatchets through the table, but they take him down. The punching uh, and then- sounds are like, pow! Yeah. So then uh, our forgotten boy, who we haven't seen in a while, Clark, he's upset because he's found his dogs uh, hatcheted up. Outside, they're going to put Blair in the tool shed and give him some morphine to stay chill. Uh, Mac asks how he's doing, and Blair says he doesn't know who to trust and that uh, Mac should watch Clark. So because all of their shit's fucked up, they are stranded, and Max says they can't wait until spring because people may be infected. Uh, Dr. Copper says he can do a blood serum test to see who is human and who's not, and Fuchs says they need Blair's help, but Max says he's too far gone. Inside the some kind of room that's locked, they realize someone got to the blood that they need, the whole blood that they need to compare, um, but the lock is not damaged. Dr. Copper and the captain are the only ones with access, so they start arguing about who could have lifted the key. Uh, Windows gets upset, runs off and grabs a shotgun, uh, and Windows is afraid of Gary, but eventually they talk him down. Gary then pulls his gun on the others and said he didn't touch the blood, but he's happy to not be in charge. And it's sort of like, not decided, but universally decided that Mac is the boss. This is when... Childs is like, because Gary sets the gun down and and says, I don't want to be in charge and somebody else should step up. And Childs is the one who's like, I can do it. And then everyone's like, nah, fuck you. You're black. You can't be in charge of us. And then Mac, for some reason, feels empowered to do so. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. He's just as qualified as Childs. Or he's, like, less qualified. Yeah, I think Childs is a Childs, scientist, and Mac he is a helicopter pilot. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, and he's, like, skeptical in the right ways, and he's not constantly drunk the way that McReady is. Like, he's doing nothing but drinking. He also doesn't shoot first and ask questions later. He's very considerate and thinking through things. Also, he has a turtleneck, and if you can't trust someone with a turtleneck... Who can you trust? Who can you trust? He's got a turtleneck. He's got one earring and a deep voice. That's who mm-hmm. I would put my And very on. nice eyebrows. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the blood bags are on fire and Max says the thing is vulnerable in the open, but will fight if it has to. So they have to like trap it or something. Sorry, I wasn't really paying attention at this point. <laughs> um, he separates the doctor, Gary and Clark, and they get shot up with morphine in the rec room to stay calm because they're suspects. Uh, Mac makes a recording for posterity, and he says he thinks the thing rips through your clothes when it takes you over back to the shredded undies. Mm-hmm. Um, Mac checks on Fuchs, and he says a small particle is enough to take over an organism, so they should prep their own meals and only eat out of cans. I was like, this is hitting a little too close to home <laughs> right now. <laughs> it is, yeah, quarantine vibes all around. As Fuchs leaves the lab, a shadow passes in front of the door, and he lights a flare and follows it outside, where he finds a shredded piece of Mac's clothing. Uh, So he goes missing, and they head out to search in groups. Mac checks on Blair and asks about Fuchs. Blair says he wants to come back inside, and he's prepared a noose very dramatically and, like, freaking, like, going to, like, zero to 60. I'm all better now. Toxic man. 
That's I love the noose proves it. <laughs> the yeah. noose. I'm better now. There's not a noose hanging two two inches from me. I'm not trying to emotionally manipulate you into getting what I want. Come on. He was also busy building a spaceship, so. Oh, yeah. Also, how long was he in that tool shed? I need more information. I need, like, yeah, a sequence of time, because at one point Max says that he hasn't slept in days, and that's, like, midpoint through the movie. So, like, it's... it's, Has he been out there for two months? Like, what's happening? And when, and at the beginning, when the dog is finally put in with the other dogs, later on, Blair is like, so that dog has been out for an entire day. So, like... For a whole day. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of feels like this whole thing happened overnight, but It does feel like one long night, but, yeah. But Blair built a spaceship, so who are we to judge? Mm Mm-hmm. So in the snow, they find Fuchs's burned body and the flare. Uh, they're heading to Max Shack since there's a light on that he is sure he left off. Inside, inside, Childs is barricading the door while Nalls and Mac are still outside. Norris sees something at the window. Norris and his sweater really don't get enough he's play. He's like, yeah, he's not feeling so great. Oh, that way, yeah. the way he groaned was kind of funny. It's like me after eating dairy. <laughs> I was like, I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. So, Nalls had cut Mac loose because he found some shredded clothing of Mac's in the oil furnace in his shack. Uh, Mac is at the door, but Childs wants to leave him outside. Mac makes it in through the storeroom, and Childs breaks down the door with a hatchet to get to him. Mac's holding some dynamite with a lit flare and says anyone that fucks with him, and anyone fucks with him and the whole camp goes up, which is just like classic like so classic like can you take it down a notch it's not always about you it's not always that you're not the most important person in this camp also kurt russell i guess was holding real dynamite and almost blew himself up oops does not sound like a good idea john carpenter get control of your crew yeah honestly all right guys what's going on here who knows Oh, Norris and Nals uh, come at Mac from behind, and then Norris falls down, which is when he goes, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) So he stops breathing, and they go to get the doctor. Um, The doctor's administering the defibrillator to Norris, uh, and as he does so, Norris's abdomen opens up and tears the doctor's arms off with crazy, like, triangular teeth. Such a good scene. Uh, it's so good. I, like, jumped, because as you know, I've never seen this before. <laughs> did you, okay, so did you read how they did this back in, no, before CGI times? So they, uh, the up-close shots um, are, so, like, when, after they've been bitten down and when he pulls his arms up and there's just, like, tendrils of mm-hmm. blood hanging, they employed a, a double amputee who had had both of his arm his Um, arms amputated above the or below the elbow and so they put prosthetic like blood and like skin and then when he pulls up and you see his face when you see dr copper's face it's like a mask that the guy that the actor was wearing yeah so that's that's crazy right so it's all real i miss the is that exploitative though i mean they paid him so isn't all labor exploitative Yeah, all labor is exploitative, but isn't it still exploitative? Isn't it exploitative if you're using this actor based solely on his disability and he's not getting other, like, roles with an equitable eye? I don't know that 
he that he's an actor. I think that he's, he's a, a person who got paid to do this. Yeah. And in that case, all labor is exploitative and all and whatever you feel comfortable with. Hopefully this person felt comfortable. That's fair. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not disabled and I don't think you are either, Rebecca. Do you claim a disability? No. So if you are disabled or you have any thoughts about the ableism of this, please hit us I mean, up it is ableism. But, but like, also, if he felt comfortable with this small role that hopefully he got a lot of cash for. Yeah, but do you think he got a lot of cash for it? I mean, John Carpenter is kind of a big name. And this movie did flop at the time, but it was from a big studio, so. But also, like... Do big studios and big names in Hollywood have a history of no, that's paying true. marginalized groups equitably and fairly? But maybe it was a fun experience for him. If someone was like, hey, come do this movie for two minutes and no one will really know. You know, like, we're just going to put some prosthetics on you. Like, I don't... I think it's an interesting conversation. and Not for us, probably. Again, we're ill-equipped to talk about any of the shit we talk about. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, back to Norris. His abdomen has torn the doctor's arms off, and a tentacle monster with a deranged Norris face busts out of the body. Does he kind of busts out of Yeah, he's got like a long stomach? tendril head. Yeah, I like it. And yeah. then Norris's body stretches apart, revealing like sinewy green inside stuff. <laughs> Insides. <laughs> inside stuff. Uh-huh. Norris's head detaches, actual head, not the head monster, uh, detaches and pulls itself along via one very gross tentacle while the other part of his body is on fire. Um, nobody notices this spider leg head situation, even though it's pretty clear to me that something was happening. Mm-hmm. I love the so tongue. So it grows. So like, it's like being dragged by his so tongue. Gross. So gross. Yeah. And visceral. It yeah. grows. Spider legs is not seen by the crew and then eventually crawls out from under a desk and tries to escape. But guess what? They flamethrow it. We're good. You gotta be fucking kidding. That's the Indeed. Yeah. So Mac wants to tie everyone down, but Childs is like, no. And then while he has his gun on Childs, Clark tries to come at Mac, but he shoots him in the head. He straight he up murders him. shoots Clark in he the head for, like, moving. Him for even just, for like. For being like, don't try to, like, kill this other guy. Yeah. But apparently Mac is the more level-headed of all the people remaining. Yeah, he just shot a person In what world? Don't worry, you guys, because there's a blood test that Mac invented to figure out who's human. So apparently he has decided that if your blood reacts with heat, then you're not a person because the thing doesn't like to be burned. So it's active cells in the blood will like freak out if they put heat on it. So they put like everybody's blood in Petri dishes and take like a hot wire heated in front of their trusty flamethrowers and like. All the blood just sizzles normally. But guess what? Palmer, the drug addict. I mean, very he's addicted just to drugs. Smoking weed. Bad I... boy. But he's othered because he has a habit not deemed acceptable by society at large. So he's dead. He's a thing and he starts morphing. Uh, and then, unfortunately, Max's trusty flamethrower is on the fritz. So it's, there's some trouble. It's like a scary, it's a really tense scene. But like knowing how it ends, it's like kind of funny. Like when I was watching, it's like, because 
Child, Childs, who I always want to call Childs, but that's not his name. Childs and Gary and Rawls are all tied to the chair, oh, and they're like fucking Ooh. screaming and like and like trying to get out of their ropes. And Mac is like getting like trying to light the flamethrower, and it's not working. And then the thing is just like, Bleh. yeah. Windows is the only one he trusts, so he's like, "Can you take care of this?" And Windows cannot. Um. <laughs> no, he's like he's like in shock and. Is also not operating his flamethrower. <laughs> Incorrect operate. Yeah, that yeah. one's user error, though, I think. Yeah. So, um, Windows gets just thinged by Palmer. Eventually, they both get set on fire, and they keep checking blood. I was like, oh, business as usual. Cool, cool. <laughs> Back to normal. Nalls, Childs, and Gary are all clear, uh, and they're about to test Blair. So, they go... Um, to get him, and Max says if he tries to come back without them, burn him. So the door to the tool shed is open and Blair is gone, but they hear something under the floorboards and pull them up. Under the shed, they see that he's been making a ship from helicopter parts to go, quote, anywhere but here. So and I don't know how long this elapsed, but... Right, and Childs is the only one who's not thinged, who's back at the compound. And the whole time I'm like, don't split up. The only way the thing can get you is if you split up, don't split up. Yeah, just stay in one room. But they they proceed to split up like a dozen times at least. I'll t- we'll talk about this later, but I read an interesting article about sort of like the toxic American individualism in this movie mm. and how much like people are just like insist on being like preserving their bodies because you believe like you have this false belief that your body and your individuality are connected and that you're special in some way. Um, and I thought it was a really interesting read, particularly because this movie is just chock full of toxic dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, so toxic, you guys. Okay, where are we at here? Oh, on the way back, Nal sees Childs on the outside of the camp, and he's like, "Da fuck, and then all the lights go down. The thing blew the generator so that it can basically refreeze itself because it just is like, I'm tired. These, you guys are nuts. <laughs> so Max says whether they make it or not, they can't let the thing freeze again and they're not getting out alive, but neither is the thing. They start lighting the camp on fire and eventually make it to the generator room where the generator is full on missing, so it can't be repaired. Uh, and then Max says they have to bring the whole place uh, down to the ice. Blair is thinged and gets Gary, which is fine because Gary wasn't giving me much anyway. See you later, Gary. He's like, he's the captain, so he's like a cop, right? Yeah. And like, is your name Gary? Is that your first name or your last name, Gary? Gary. Come on. With your long eyebrows. Give those bad boys a trim. They are really aggressive. Mm. Yeah, I kind of wanted to, like, gel them straight up. Yeah. So, Mac, here's a disturbance. I don't even... The camp is getting frozen over, so I've lost, like, any concept of where they are in space they're at this in, point. They're I, somewhere frozen. It's cold. It's frozen and cold. So, under the floorboards... um, he lights some dynamite, runs, and then the thing disturbs all the floorboards, eventually comes up, uh, and it's a dog, lizard, T-Rex, humanoid form. Uh, it's very tall. Mac grabs the dynamite and tosses it at the thing, and he says, well, fuck you, too, or something, mm-hmm. like, toxic and stupid. <laughs> uh, and it explodes, sending the whole camp up. 
at the end, it's only Childs and Mac left, so we have this sort of like subplot of protagonist, antagonist, white, black binary. It's really healthy. Um, Child says he thought he saw Blair, so he went out after him and got lost in the storm. Uh, the high temps around the camp won't last, and Mac says neither will they, and maybe they shouldn't make it. He says they should just wait here and see what happens, and then they do some boozing, wait to die, and watch the camp burn down. And that's it, kids. Finn. Finn. There's also a theory that, um, because there's some Molotov cocktails used throughout the movie, that the J&B bottle that McGreedy is holding at the end is, is it, it's like fuel and not alcohol. So when Childs drinks from it, he starts, like, McGreedy starts laughing because he knows that the thing is in Childs and pretending to be him. I don't know. It's like convoluted. I'm not sure. I think it's supposed to be ambiguous and we should all just live with the fact that it's ambiguous and none of us are supposed to know who's the thing and who's not. I like it ambiguous. I don't need to know. As far as I'm concerned, they're all men, so they're all the thing. They're all the men. They're men participating in the U.S. government, so yeah, thumbs down. You know what else I really think is like undervalued in this movie is the score that like bump bump. I like it, bum, yeah. Bum. It's so good. Is Carpenter known for his scores? This is like the only horror podcast you'll listen to where nobody fucking knows anything about John I don't John know Carpenter. anything about anything, honestly. But it was Ennio Morricone who was the... I don't know if I'm oh, saying that right. he just died, I think. Yeah. Morricone. Morricone. But it was really good. I was like, every time... It was really good. That even when He's, you just see the dog... I think he dog, scored... Um, I think he scored Death Proof, actually. <laughs> I'm not. When we eventually do Death Proof, you're going to be really into it, and I'm going to be like, I think Quentin Tarantino sucks. So Quentin Tarantino does suck. We're not going to do that movie for him. We're going to do it for... Rosario Dawson. All of the ladies. Yeah. Yeah. Caesar <laughs> is obsessed with Rosario Dawson. Like, he doesn't have... He has, like, a weird uh, celebrity interest he like likes middle-aged white women generally like he really likes sandra bullock Uh, interesting yeah it's like so weird but he loves rosario dawson and like will watch anything she's in without isn't it weird that she was like engaged to eric andre for a year yeah he's funny yeah but he's funny but it's just this weird blip in like the time space continuum and now she's with someone else who's kind of interesting right i can't remember but I think it's a white. Let's find out. A white. <laughs> I don't know. She was also in Clerks 2, which is like such a choice. I liked her in Clerks 2. Uh, she was the best part of Clerks 2. Yeah. Uh, oh, shit. It's not a white man, but might as well be. Cory Booker. Oh, God. That's so weird. <laughs> uh, come on. We can't come trust. On. It's just another, you can't trust celebrities. You can't trust rich people, you know? That's a downgrade from Eric Andre. Really, though. I like Eric Andre. He's, I, he's cute. If you're funny, you, yeah, you're cute, cute no matter what. Uh, I'm going to tell everyone you said that about me. Thank you so much. You're cute and you're funny and you're cute because you're funny. So Thanks. All things. Oh, she recently came back as, came out as um, queer. Good for her. Good for her. Bad for her. Dating Cory Booker. No, no. Yeah, maybe, maybe find a, maybe find a good gal somewhere. Maybe find someone just like progressive. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just like slightly progressive. <laughs> right. 
Do you want to talk about xenophobia? Sure, yeah. Is it when he calls Norwegian people Swedish? So here's the dealio. <laughs> that one instance. No, here I have m- something slightly more interesting to say, okay, than just that. But that okay. was xenophobic. Mm-hmm. So as we know, Mac uh, seemingly intentionally confuses Sweden and Norway. He keeps calling the Norwegian adventurers Swedish. Uh, so it's like, okay, yeah, that's like xenophobic, but that's kind of the only instance. But then I did some reading. And the original, original version of this uh, this tale is a pulp story called Who Goes There, mm-hmm. uh, written by John Campbell in the late 30s. Uh, so basically, in Who Goes There, an ice alien is essentially vanquished by um, American heroes. And so the time frame surrounding this is uh, obviously pre-World War II, when a lot of European immigrants are fleeing um, Nazi-occupied countries. So uh, there were just like huge waves of xenophobia and isolationism in the United States at this time as waves of European immigrants are arriving. So I just thought that was an interesting detail Mm -hmm. to know. Uh, So I also want to cite the article I read that was super helpful. Uh, It's called Viral Things, and it's a a review uh, written by... Elena Glassberg in uh, the Women's Studies Quarterly in 2012. So uh, she notes that in earlier iterations, the narrative externalizes the monster. So it makes it something that can be vanquished. So it can it kind of others it in this more xenophobic way. But Carpenter's version sort of evolves past that. So the version uh, in this version, the difference between the thing and the humans is less than perceptible. Uh, but I do think that Max kind of like weird xenophobic comment is a nod to that sort of earlier iteration Mm -hmm. of the story. But in this version, it's more about, uh, I think, how like humanity absorbs. We are the enemy in this version. Yeah. Not exactly the monster. Is that the the real horror is your fear becoming yourself, right? It's like, yeah, the disguise that it wears is our own. Which kind of segues nicely into the articles that I sort of perused. We read three leisurely at my leisure (laughs) between us, so we're basically I'm a genius scholars now. Yeah. Um. So Julia Kristeva, who is a theorist psychologist who I wish I were smart enough to be a theorist she's French so I didn't get to read her actual um work because it's in French and it hasn't been um it's not like at my leisure to scroll because I would have to have paid for it um and I didn't because I'm poor but uh so she in join our patreon if you want to um, support me. So uh, the she wrote a work, Powers of Horror, an essay on abjection in the 1980. So this precedes oh, the movie. Right. So Rebecca needs to teach me what abjection means. Yeah, so, so go for it. Abjection is the state of being cast off. And she describes abjective horror as the feeling an individual has when confronted by corporal reality. So a breakdown between what is yourself and what is the other. So it refers to like human reactions to being threatened by the loss of the distinction between self and other, which is interesting because that's what this entire movie is about. 
Right, is that like you... And also, like, the ice is a perfect backdrop for that because the ice is something that we can perceive as, like, biologically recognizable, but it also is something that's hostile and that we other because it's dangerous to us, right? right? because we have to survive cold and the ice. Um, And so a person is... So this, like, abjection lives between this state of, like, like, who you are and the subject and the other, and it sort of breaks down and causes chaos to this existing, established, symbolic order. So it exists outside of law, outside of our perceived reality. Um, And so she argues that this abjection is feminine Hmm. because it's a disruption of... And trying to sort of trying to take yourself out of your creation and like your distinction between human and animal. And so it exists outside of life, outside of science and is feminine. Also, I think the thing is pretty feminine because it's consuming, it opens, it births something new and creates this other. So like I thought that was pretty. It merges cells to create a new thing. Right. And then it's exact. it, It, um. Sorry, this might be a fly in here. Uh, Is it the thing? It might be the thing. I'm a little more afraid of flies than I am of the thing. But I thought that was pretty interesting that, like, this complete lack of the female and the feminine is still undercut with, like, male fear of being consumed by the feminine. By something that they that they perceive as less important or less valuable than themselves. And that the... Totally, that's super interesting. Super interesting. And that, like, the thing is the ultimate other. And there's undercurrents of, like, what we said before, homophobia, as well as misogyny, because there's only dudes and there's a thing walking amongst them, living amongst them, that they can't distinguish from the regular men, quote, regular men, and it's consuming and devouring them. So, And it's also interesting that it was 1982 and this, like, theme of blood and the AIDS crisis. Totally. And you can see that, like... What am I saying? (laughs) (laughs) You can see, like... Uh, 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 so they sort of, um, this is during the Cold War, Mm -hmm. and you can see that, like, the threat of nuclear power is not as, um, kind of, like, gleefully engaged. In the earlier versions, it's really about, like, American superiority over, over a foreign power, but you can totally see the Cold War reflected in this movie because they're afraid of nuclear power. There's a fear of, like, something infiltrating them that they can't control. Uh, And so they react to that by kind of, like, destroying ranks from inside. Um, And then I also think that what you said points to the uh, point made by the article that I read. (laughs) I read an article, you guys. (laughs) Um, Which is about this sort of, like, hero resistance and individualism. So Childs and Mac are both vying to be heroes, right? Mm-hmm. So they both vie for this uh, victory over the thing, even though it eventually, like, destroys them from the inside out. But they, as people that perceive their own importance and their own value as individuals in American society, because we're all taught the myth of individualism from when we're really young, uh, feel like they have to outdo this viral reproduction of the thing to 
you know, retain value and retain individualism, even though it eventually ends up destroying themselves. Uh, so that's what I have to say. So, yeah. Did that sound smart? It did sound smart. I loved it. I agree. You don't You don't have to lie, but thank you for lying. Um, the article that I stole all of my ideas from was written by a man, but um, it's still pretty good and pretty intriguing. Pre- Pridem? Prid- Mark Pridem? Uh, but he said something that was pretty interesting about, like, the horror aspects of it that ha- does have all these undercurrents of abjection and, and, like, homophobia and misogyny, but that it... We find, he says, quote, we find more profound terror below these historically contingent ones, a fountain of fears which patriarchy and heteronormative traditions use in order to foster their myths, which I thought was pretty interesting. Ooh. Yeah. Is that yeah, like super all of this? Super heteronormative, super like reactionary to anything mm-hmm. that isn't heteronormative. Um, obviously, they're in a situation that could be perceived as homoerotic, but they're just like rejection of this takes its form in open hostility, mm-hmm. um, which is super, ma- like, masculine and how, you know, males are socialized in America. Uh, yeah. And I did kind of get, like, she-her vibes from the thing. She-her or they-them vibes they, them from the thing. Vi- yeah, probably they-them vibes. But I think that it's interesting that, like, the complete lack of women characters, women actors is, like, undercut by this thing that consumes them by, like, opening up and enclosing men. Vaginally opening up. Lots of vaginas. Lots of vaginas. As far as the French theorists you were talking about, uh, when they categorize the thing as, and the objection that the thing creates as feminine, how do you think that, like, speaks to, uh, like, a 2021 lens when we're trying to expand the gender binary and what we perceive as feminine and masculine. Is that, like, gender doesn't really exist, right? So that a theorist speaking in 1980s, hopefully just talking about the association, (laughs) hopefully the association between what the patriarchy perceives as feminine rather than, like, what is actually something feminine is, like, Women aren't out here devouring and... Right. When you, like, take a, you know, look retroactively at some of these theories where it's so clearly defined, like, a masculine patriarchal lens and then uh, the femininity kind of, like, butting up against it, I feel like if you want to and if you're inclined to, you can sort of, like, apply a more gender-neutral lens to people discussing the feminine before there was real language for gender neutrality or like gender you know flexibility um but the patriarchy somehow has remained its normal self and has pretty much stayed tried and true yeah (laughs) yeah so i mean and she does i don't know to her credit i mean she's not talking about this movie movie specifically because it came out after she wrote this book article theory i don't know barticle (laughs) (laughs) barticle um but yeah, hopefully, like, she's thinking, like, this isn't an actual, you know, feminine, femininity, masculinity is a complex set of ideas in general. And, like, hopefully we're pushing against them now, but I don't know. 40 years well, ago? We can, we can say the thing definitely wasn't pushing against them. No, yeah. they weren't. It was like, here's a bunch of dudes being dudes fighting against monster vaginas. 
So there are some through lines of colonialism in this movie. So obviously uh, the Norwegians, the Americans, and any other camps that are established in the space of Antarctica are colonizers. Um, Antarctica is famously one of the last places on Earth to be colonized. Um, But uh, the irony of the thing is that it essentially is the first colonizer and established its presence on our landscape 100,000 years before most other colonizations began. Mm-hmm. So uh, the thing, in essence, kind of becomes that first colonizer and estranges humanity from its own history of colonization by holding up this weird, like, grotesque mirror to the behavior of mankind, which I thought was not maybe what John Carpenter meant to do, but I was like, yes, decolonize this movie. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that's interesting that, like, I don't, yeah, the thing is the ultimate colonizer and that people who support colonization wouldn't think of it as such, but, like, they, it is colonizing the bodies of and these it col- men. And it colonizes the bodies of these men. Yeah. And they try to decolonize <laughs> their own experience, but they're unable Futile to. Futile so it's yeah. It's basically this just, like, massive damaging machine that takes no prisoners and doesn't have concern except for itself. So the thing is colonialism and also capitalism, actually. Gross. Ew! Also, like, the idea of self is interesting because who knows what the self is like under the influence, under the guidance of the thing. Without the influence. And, I mean, on a, like, larger scale, who knows what the self is in general. For us, without, yeah, without the influence of capitalism. Like, we have taste, we have habits, we have all of our lives and the way we, like, run them based off of having to survive under capitalism. So, I don't know. It's kind of an interesting question. The thing is making me think more than I thought It's making it would. me think about things. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, it has its problems, but I love this movie. And I think, yeah, it's, like, thought-provoking and it's beautifully made and it has really good practical effects. The CGI yeah, effects totally. really stand out. Like, when they're standing on the on looking down at the uh the spaceship you're clearly in front of a green screen (laughs) yeah i love it so much the best is definitely norris's green head goop loved that yeah it's pretty but i think that um oh shoot i was gonna say something not stupid you always say lost it not stupid (laughs) stuff i'm sure it was great i i think that it is super Mm thought-provoking and i think that um Obviously, it's a problematic movie, but as as with any of the movies we talk about, we're bringing our own lens and our own conversation uh, about race, class, what have you to it. Speaking of which, we should probably talk a little bit more about Childs. <sighs> yeah, I, um, Keith David is a great actor. I think that, like... Wait, I don't know his, I don't see movies, so what else, where else would oh, I know no, him No, now I'm have to bring up... So many movies. I mean, like... Can I just say I've had my computer plugged in this whole time, and I just realized it's not plugged into the wall, and I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) Stand by. How dare you? Um, His IMDb page is a a novella. It's so long. Um, He does a lot of voice work. serious character actors in this movie, for sure. (laughs) Um... 
Princess and the Frog is listed very early on his, um... He's done so much voiceover work. We do not have the bandwidth to talk about Princess and the Frog right now. No, so don't that's, even bring I've it into I've only this seen it once, and I was like, mm, I feel like we could have done better, but I'm not super into Disney either, so... Well, that's... Remember, we... We were talking about Shrek, and we were like, is Donkey racist? And then you found that article about how <laughs> yeah. um, black oh. characters and animations are always in, like, animal form yeah. to make people more comfortable to consume their personalities. And Which I was like, oh. Truly upsetting. Upsetting. Because, yeah, like, they could, a movie made in, I don't know, 2000 and something, you couldn't just, like, let a black cartoon be a black cartoon. Well, I think it came up because Soul, like, just came out. Did you watch that movie? No, I've never seen it. So this guy gets transformed into, like, he's a black man. He's a black man in New York trying to make it as, like, a jazz pianist. Mm. And he has this, like, crisis of confidence, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But he gets, like, body switched with um, this, like, little soul, animated soul bubble. So he's in the, like, cute soul bubble. And then the soul bubble's personality is in him. So we see his body on screen, but he's not allowed to have any agency over his body. And we have to consume his character and personality through this, like, cutesy animated, like, droplet. Um, and I think that's what, like, maybe why the article you sent me yeah, came out. Yeah, it yeah. did talk a little bit about it. But I think, like, yeah, because I hadn't seen it. Um, but, yeah, like, donkey is a donkey. And as well, and as opposed Princess to a person. And the frog. And Princess frogs. and the frog. They're frogs. Um, and then it was how also- many white like presenting characters get turned into animals in animated movies? I don't know. I can't think of one right now. I don't. I don't ask me to think about like anything. Anything <laughs> at all. Uh, I was scrolling through Keith David's IMDb IMDb page and he's in Barbershop, which is one of my favorite. Rebecca's got an IMDb. I've I love it. He's also just yeah, like a character actor. He's in literally everything. Okay, I've never seen Barbershop, but maybe I'll watch it. Oh my god, it's so good. I'm saying I'm saying yes to watching it. We talked right about now. Ice Cube being problematic last time, but um it's a great movie. Eve's in it. Um I love shop, Eve. Uh fuck, what's his name? From Save the Last Dance. What is his name? Mackay Pfeiffer? N- no. Who's that then? Mackay Pfeiffer is, um, he was in 8 Mile. Are you sure that's not the same guy from Save the Last Dance? Nope. It's Sean Williams. Sean Patrick Williams. Sean. Sean, Sean that for sure. Sound right. You know what? Let's now we gotta Google that because you're making me question Shit. myself. Yeah, and I'm also being low key racist. It's not Sean Mac- Patrick Thomas. Sean Patrick not, Thomas. Yeah, it's not Mackay Pfeiffer. No, mm-hmm. I'm sorry about that, guys. Oh yeah, I liked that movie, but it was bad. I think, <laughs> and like Maybe. appropriative. Uh, but I also I oh Perry Washington was in that movie. Uh, in Save Last Dance, yeah. That's one of my sister's favorite movies. I could. Take I haven't it seen it in her. a million years. Uh, why do we always end up on IMDb in this I podcast? I don't know. Because I want to know. I am don't know. Um, I am don't know. But Barbershop is good. All I right. own it on DVD. Nice. Do you own this one on DVD? I don't. I had to rent it on YouTube like a plebe. I don't know. Yeah, I texted you. I was all jazzed up because I was like, I know this is on HBO. Womp, it's the 2011 remake. I haven't seen it. 
It has what's her face in it though. Who well, should in, I go back to IMDb? Who was in Ten Cloverfield Lane, which was also a really good movie that oh, we'll uh, cover. I want to say day. like Mary Elizabeth something. That was a good movie. Mary Winston Churchill. Winstead. Mary Elizabeth Winstead. I was like, there's was a it? W in there. Okay, yeah. I'm sure it's like a Mary Elizabeth thing. Yes, uh, it is Mary Elizabeth Winston. Look at that you. was teamwork, baby. That was teamwork because I thought of Winston. Um, Do you have anything additional to say about the thing? We never. Oh, we did. We sort of started talking about Childs, but he also oh. says some. Like he's really incredulous at one point that any of this is real, and he calls it "quote voodoo bullshit," which I feel like. Ew. It's not great. Didn't have to I do don't that. love it. So yeah, we have two black characters in this movie. Uh Childs who is aggressive, skeptical. He's perceived as aggressive, excuse me. Um He's really just skeptical cautious and he's just ruthless. like being careful. Yeah. yeah. Um he's coded as angry, uh kind of like trigger happy. And then we have Nalls, who's coded as the sort of like docile, silly, like um friendly black person that you can bring with your Scooby gang and he'll be okay. So he's got roller skates. He works in the kitchen. So he has all these um, markers that he is Mm non-threatening and he's sort of coded as like feminine because he is a housekeeper. He's the one who brings the like disgusting shredded drawers to the attention of the others. So we see a little bit more nuance, not a lot more nuance because they're all just like white man beard, but they, Uh um, of the characters in the movie, the two black actors uh, play the roles that are most reductive and stereotyped, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the stoner is also pretty stereotyped. But it's, yeah, not in the same level, like, at, at I all. mean, it's not sinister. Like you It's can, not sinister. You yeah. can stereotype a white pothead Because he's probably like that, it. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. But, uh, but, yeah, I also, we didn't get to talk about the dog who Jed. is such a Let's good Jed. boy. Uh, he's half Jed wolf, is a great dog name. Half Canadian Malamute, which I don't know what Malamute. that is. Malamute. Malamute. Uh, I bet our listener, my friend Jared, will know because he's got like Husky and Samoan knowledge. But he, uh, the dog, after spending time with the cast and crew, wouldn't look at the camera or the crew during scenes and was, like, his, like, very quiet nature, like, really played into how Jed's the thing... aloof personality. Yeah, exactly, yeah. how the thing would act. Um, and then Did af- he bond with anyone specific? Did you read that he bond with someone specific? No, I oh. was just asking you. I was... He lived to be 18, and he wow. lived out his days on an animal sanctuary with his trainer. That's so sweet. That's really nice. Such was Jed in way. any other movies? He was, but I didn't. I didn't look up which ones. But he did act in a few other movie minor roles. But he was such a good boy and such a good actor. Yay for Jed! Yay, good job, Jed! All right. Anything else you want to say about the thing? I think I'm done. Uh, you think you're done? I think I think I'm done. Kurt Russell's really hot. Unfortunately, yeah, I'm so sorry. I don't. We want don't to. stand overboard, which is a movie I really liked when I was a kid because I loved Goldie Hawn, and my dad thought it was super funny, and so we watched it all the time. It's so <laughs> bad. It is so problematic yeah. and like 
so anti-consent and like abusive that movie is not okay yeah i'm telling you if kurt russell doesn't have a beard things are not good uh his son i think his and goldie Hawn's son is also in black one of a like a really good black mirror episode i can't think of his name though i have a boner for goldie goldie Hawn's son oliver hudson he's super hot but anyway i don't know I don't, I don't stand Kurt Russell. I do. Wyatt st- Russell. Wyatt. Right. What a name. What a name that oh, is. Oh, that guy. Yeah. I've from, seen I guy. only know him from Black Mirror, but I was Wasn't like, he in Get Out? He was like really scary in Get Out? No, he wasn't in Get Out. That's a different white guy with blonde hair. Has like a scary face like that, though. Yeah. He has that same like white guy. Oh my face. God. Wyatt Russell was in Overboard. Uncredited baby at golf course. Aww cute that's golf course baby but anywho you guys i'm just figuring out where i've seen wyatt russell so we can wrap this up (laughs) yeah get on it because i'm not doing i'll babble about something else while we're doing it um oh he was in we are what we are that cannibal child movie i've never seen he was like the dep the deputy that was dating the older girl (laughs) i've never seen that Okay, we'll get into that in another day. (laughs) All right. So next week we have uh, the original Suspiria. I have only seen the remake of Suspiria, but I love Italian movies. And I love camp and gore and bright colors. So I'm super, super excited to talk about this with y'all. And then after that, TBD. So if you're hearing this and you want us to really, like, definitely cover something, just DM us on Instagram at spooky succubus underscore cast and we'll do it we don't care we have no shame we have no integrity we have no dignity i'll do Keep that in mind yeah yeah so what are we gonna fuck this time uh i would like to say uh fuck objection fuck colonialism fuck getting really bad back pain when you're over 25 mm, <laughs> yeah and fuck capitalism as always i'm so tired my dudes i just want it to stop can we be done now? I, I would love to make, be done. Can we do something new now? Let's this get it over work. with. Yeah. Um, I hope no dogs were hurt in the making of this movie. But um, Yeah, fuck Jed dying. Jed should have lived live forever. forever. Um, they should have cloned him like they cloned, like Barbara Streisand cloned her dog. <laughs> Look it up if you haven't heard of this. <laughs> um, but yeah, fuck only putting men in movies. Also, like, let's let's get an all yeah. female fuck- the thing. Is that the thing remake? Maybe I don't know. Yeah, like the Ghostbusters. I feel like thing. women probably could have handled this a little better because they already have to we navigate have like, so many holes. Let's in just stay in one room. Everybody Close together. Yeah. Well, we won't go anywhere. We'll read our books or we think about this throw... rationally. Nobody would have gotten shot for no reason. We don't need to throw our booze in the computer because it won at chess. Just chill out, everyone. He like can never play chess again because he's a fucking crybaby. Chess is hard. You're going to lose sometimes. Right. And the computer is designed to win Mac. And he's Fuck also Mac, gendering right? the computer, who has, like, a female-sounding bitch. voice, bitch, yeah. Fuck Mac um, in, like, the he's a dickhead way, and also fuck him in, in the, the different way. He's, like, sexy. In his yeah. condom cap. Um, and I his frozen so beard, yeah. But anyway, thank you for listening. That's it for these two old, sad dirtbags. We yeah. love y'all. Right. Bye! Bye.